Welcome to the Pop My Culture Podcast. I'm Cole Stratton. And I'm Vanessa Ragland. Hey, V. Been a little while. It has. Oh, we've changed. Yeah, I tell you. You've had a birthday. Uh, yeah. How are you feeling? I'm feeling old. Yeah, that happens. Yeah. That's the nature of life. It, it surely Always is. Always scooching towards death. And you're black now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool, right? Yeah. Not, pretty... not a good time. <laughs> oh, it's Jesus. never been easy. <laughs> I tell you. Uh, welcome to the podcast, guys. Yeah, hey. It's been a bit for us. We were, it wasn't intentional. The summer's just been really hard to schedule. We've had, yeah. we had a few people scheduled that then couldn't do it, and then we couldn't find a rescheduled it right away, and yada, yada, yada. Anyways. Uh, very excited to be back with a really wonderful guest. Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah. You know her from like lots of movies and TV shows. Just a stellar, stellar actor and a like film buff and an author. Um, Ileana Douglas. I'm so yep. excited. It's going to be great. Yeah. Um, and uh, we've got another one next week too so it should come out uh, yeah maybe quicker. we're coming back maybe <laughs> we'll, we'll see uh just a tiny bit of housekeeping and then we'll get to it yeah if you like the show leave us a review on itunes just go to itunes click five stars and say well i don't need to listen to any more podcasts found it there we go i like that <laughs> uh, you can also email us info at popmyculturepodcast.com we'll read them all we'll get back to you guest suggestions always welcome as well as anything else just say yeah. hi just say hi there you go you know if it's hate mail I'll still write back. It's true. It's true. <laughs> I do. Got a bit of that. Um, people want to make their opinions known, but it's either whether they love something or hate something. Yeah. People don't usually write to be like, hey, your show's all right. Yeah, and just wanted to let you know, meh. It's really middle of the road, guys. Way to do the very minimum. Uh, um, uh, we're also primarily listener supported. That's right. And you can be one of those supportive listeners. There it is. You can go to our website, popmyculturepodcast.com, and there's a little donate button. And you can click it. Yep. And Any then you can amount. donate uh, from anywhere from five to seventeen thousand dollars. Would be a big help. <laughs> Wait, five thousand is the minimum, or yeah. just five dollars? Okay, five dollars. You're just really like aiming high right now. Listen, I'm in a bit of a bind, and if anybody could donate seventeen thousand dollars, I could really. <laughs> Anyway, we love every little bit of help. <laughs> yep. Yeah, we have an occasional stray sponsor, but it's yeah. pretty much your donations that allow us to do this. And uh, we very much thank you for it. We'll give you thank a you. shout out on a future episode in Whoa. a probably semi-annoying way. And uh, yeah, then That's you'll regret opinion. ever giving us that money. <laughs> but thank you guys for supporting us. Uh, also, uh, with our guest today, uh, there's a, a DVD copy of Ghost World, which she is in, which Ooh. we're going to have her sign. And uh, you leave your answer to the first question that's on our website. You have a chance to win that signed DVD. Oh, honey. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, it's really nice. I think so, too. I really, I really like it. I'm super <laughs> excited about this episode. I'm going to try to stay cool, but it's not going to work. All right, guys. Stay cool. KIT. Have a good summer. Never L-Y-L-A-S. You bet. We'll be right back with Ileana Douglas. I think you mean BRB. Uh, our guest today, well, she's a great actress and writer and, well, I don't know, you could put a lot of, uh, soon to be buff. podcaster. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know her from tons of movies and TV shows, web series, uh, many numerous ones to list. Uh, to Die For, Goodfellas, Cape Fear, uh, Welcome to Sweden, uh, <laughs> Easy to Assemble, uh, The Late Happy Bloomer. Texas. Happy My Texas. My parents' favorite There you movie. go. Ghost <laughs> World. Many other things. Yeah. Ileana Douglas is mm-hmm. here. Hello. Hi. Hi. Okay. We're so Great excited to, to have you. I'm excited to be 
be here. You've got a lot going on right now. Yes, we have. Uh, the, um, we've got the Trailblazing Women uh, show, which is our second year now with uh, Turner Classic Movies and Women in Film that I, I host. Last year we celebrated uh, uh, female directors going back to 1896, and this year I'm really excited about uh, actresses. We're doing actresses who made a difference. Nice, and it's going to be great profiling about 50. Uh, actresses all the way from Mary Pickford, who was actually the first actor, male or female, to be credited in a film before that. Really? Yes. But when, wow. you, when you look at a credit, uh, audiences were so enthralled with who she was. But, but previously to Mary Pickford, people were not, uh, actors were not credited. She also is the first close-up in films. In Whoa. Film history. So what we people think People wanted in that. Yeah. So we start with Mary Pickford. She became a businesswoman. Um, somebody like Lucille Ball, again, who was a businesswoman, um, to Marilyn Monroe, to people that supported the war effort, like um, Marlena Dietrich, Betty Davis, who started the Hollywood Canteen, Hedy Lamarr, who invented a frequency system for uh, blocking you know, torpedoes and this technology, later became oh, wow. the basis of cell phone technology. So... What? Yeah, it's not, you know, Glenda Jackson, who went on to become in Parliament, Jane Alexander, who oh ran the gosh. National Endowment of Arts, Jane Fonda, who's, of course, an yeah. activist, yeah, uh, Elizabeth Taylor put the, you know, face to, to AIDS and, you know, philanthropic work. So it's... It's social and historical contributions of all of these actresses to look at them in a different way, to see their contributions to society. But it's also discussing currently that if we marginalize actresses in films, think of all these contributions that we would not have had had it not been uh, for these people. Because what I find, you know, every year when we do the show, I find a lot through my research. And this year, what I found is that historically, actresses have used their fame as a platform for social causes. Something bigger. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, you know, literally just, you know, Marlena Dietrich just, you know, tosses away her career, spends more time in, you know, the trenches on the front lines. Uh, Carol Lombard, who, you know, was uh, selling war bonds and, you know, died in a plane crash, like, you know, serving our country. Martha Ray, who is, you know, buried with full military honors in Arlington Cemetery. So I think that all of these uh, revelations are just going to be really exciting for people. Even something, you know, seemingly small, like Doris Day was the first uh, actor. This was back in the 60s to start talking about animal rescue. Hmm. And and spaying and neutering uh, cats. And this, it was her cause, you know, that she specifically started. And, you know, they started the conversation in many ways. And then we have, you know, one night that's uh, devoted to breaking barriers. So I talked to Rita Moreno, who, you know, is my my co-host. Each night we have a co-host. So uh, Moreno talks about winning an Academy Award for West Side Story and then not being able to find a job for 12 years after that. Wild. Um, And, you know, and what that was like. People People like Lena Horne or Josephine Baker, um, you know, breaking up like desegregated audiences. And it's just an incredible uh, learning lesson. So, you know, not only did they have amazing careers and it's not just I mean, it's as I said, it's about 50 actresses. But also what's fun about the series is that it's sitting with, 
you know, Jane Fonda, Bette Midler, Rita Moreno, Jane Alexander, and getting a Lee Grant, who was, you know, blacklisted um, early on in her career, and getting their take on similar women. That's, so, I mean, I mean yeah, that's right. it's also such a cool thing as a woman to get to ask the questions you actually care about to yes. these people instead of have to do just like... It's just a lot of just, what are you wearing? Yeah, yeah. Uh, or just tell me about the film or this gossip or whatever it is instead of getting to go into like, what do you care about and what's yes. been difficult for you? That's so exciting. Yes, getting to hear, you know, Jane Fonda's thoughts about Barbra Streisand and the way we were. Yeah, like, cool. I'd tune in for that a yeah. because that yeah. was, you know, really fun. Or, or Bette Midler talking about, uh, you know, uh, Mae West and how that influenced her career. Or Marilyn Monroe or, you know, all these other actresses. And I, th- I think that what it does for those of us who love films is, again, we start to think of actresses in a new light. Yeah. You know, it's not, they're not just... Bubble heads, you know, more than a pretty face. They can really be used as an instrument in society, and they were used as an instrument in society. You know, another one I'll throw out is Shirley Temple. Who, oh, yeah. You know, FDR credited with like, you know, creating optimism in in the depression. She, you know, at eleven years old, saved Paramount Studios. <laughs> you know, and then she kept saving things. I mean, she yeah. just kept working. She kept working, became the uh, only uh, female ambassador to Prague, was there during the Prague Spring, and uh, also, again, first actress who spoke out, this was in 1973, uh, you know, went through breast cancer and a double mastectomy, and again, started a conversation about health care, did a full interview from her hospital uh, bed, taking people through the operation and the effects of that, and so it's it's inc- you know it's incredible. It's an incredible learning lesson for me, and as an actress myself, it gives me a sense of pride in what these women accomplished. But and then, heritage too, of course. Yeah. And then, but currently, what it does is it makes us think like we can't keep marginalizing, yeah. you know, women and actresses and giving them two scenes in a film um, because still in 2016, you know, we've got movies like Batman and Captain well, America, and you and know, the conversations are based on like quote unquote worth, you know, yeah. from this level where it's not taking into account anything actually real it's yeah. just like an outdated model that women are supposed to be one thing um and i do think there are shifts happening which is great but it's so good to have a platform to talk about it mm-hmm. and to go through the history and be like it's always been going on yes Let's just do more yes you know? yeah yeah there's i mean season one dealt with primarily the directors right yes. female directors, female directors. I, I have to imagine was especially in the old studio system must have been a real nightmare for them um and there's well, many a lot of them like like there's Lena Wermuller, um, yes. Sparta, like a lot of the ones that worked in Europe and stuff, but th- not as many in, in the U.S. as far as I know. Um, I mean, I think there's a lot now that, like, especially in comedy, like there's Martha Coolidge and mm-hmm. Penelope Spheris and people like that, but you don't really hear a lot about it, which is pretty sad. Well, what we did last year, which is great, is it, 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 we always start in the beginning, you know. So last year we started in 1896 and went through the silent era. And in the silent era, there were all sorts of female writers and directors. And so, again, historically what we found is that the minute – men figured out that they could make money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. which, you know, the minute it wasn't like, you know, turn it's of the... It's a trend. Yeah, yeah, turn of the century. Because, again, if you think of history, women are 
you know, you see them getting into dancing and right. art and painting and poetry and spiritualism and all these kind of turn-of-the-century things. And movies were kind of put into that category, like an artsy, I mean... Until probably, it became... Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it was and, kind of like theater, but small theater. Yeah. Of, yeah. These little stories, Projects. little vignettes, yeah. you know. <laughs> and then... I think we could exploit this. Yeah, <laughs> so then at that point, that's when all the women, you know, started to get... Pushed out, and then for many years, uh, Ida Lupino was, was, you know, and Dorothy Arzner were the only two female uh, directors. This goes all the way up until the seventies, with uh, Elaine May yeah. becomes like mm. the first, and then from Elaine May through you know the nineties, which is what we discovered last year. It all ends in the nineties. Is a very interesting. Even in my actress research. It's like around the time of, you know, Sleepless in Seattle, there starts to become a backlash of uh, female directors kind of stop working. Uh, Female, Mm. their movies with women in them are suddenly called chick flicks. Movies start to get geared more towards uh, action films for men. Do you have a theory on what that is? Like what? I'm fascinated. I'd like to, but I found in my research last year with directors that it was the same thing that happened. It was like in the nineties. And even though a movie would come out, you know, like first wives club comes out, I think in 1996, doesn't get a sequel, wildly successful. Same year you go, okay, well maybe it's because they're older or whatever, but same year, movie comes out called The Craft. I don't know if you remember. Oh, yeah. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Huge hit. Yeah. You know, doesn't get a sequel, even though it's kind of a huge hit. But every, so and then we start, the media starts saying things like, uh, these are, you know, Thelma and Louise. It's like, it's a chick flick. I, you know, Sleepless in Seattle is, is, a, is a chick flick. You got mail. And Being as dismissive there's as There's no reason to make things for 51% of the population or whatever. <laughs> well, which, and also there's stories. So right, that's, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. I feel also like you have people like Nora Ephron or whatever that like, you had a few female directors that were like almost all tours. Yes. And I feel like there was a bit of a backlash against that. There the was. System especially, which is pretty ridiculous. I think there was also a backlash backlash from women themselves against uh you know you have the you have the traditional female fil- filmmakers at the time you have Nora Ephron you have Penny Marshall you have Barbara Streisand and then you got the upstarts you know like Alison Anders and Nancy Savoca, Penelope Spheris, people like that and so I think that there was a little bit of this generational uh split mm-hmm. none of the indie directors ever were able to break into that $100 million type film. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that was reserved for people like Penny Marshall, Nor Efron. They, they were like the A-list. And I think that, it, you know, that's as the independent film movement starts to crumble. But like by, you know, 2000, 2003, it just, it, it, independent films are starting to fall apart. And it becomes very, very hard for women directors to get, their movies made and this goes all the way through until you know sort of now where things we have this moment where things are changing and women are out there and but i i think women too got complacent you know yeah um well when you're fed something enough and you aren't kind of aware of the exclusion i think you don't question it well i know in my own trajectory when i was you know started to do writing and directing in the 
late 90s into the 2000s, it, it just became very, anything that you did became specifically a woman's story. Right. And even those were, you know, as I was doing my television, you know, writing uh, pilots and things, it was like, it had to specifically be geared to a female audience as opposed to a broad audience. And again, it's mysterious to me. I don't know why that, you know, I, I kept saying, but there's all these men yeah. in it. Like, it's not specifically a female story simply because there's a woman in it. So I think that yeah. happens to a lot of any, I mean, any like quote unquote minority in the system is kind of forced to be like, yeah, but we need to know your take on it. And it's right. like, well, I'm telling a story. So the whole story is my take, but no, yeah. we want it to look like you before your people, you know, it's, it gets so weird and niche in a way that like, not to sound so bitter, but like a white man isn't held up to that mm-hmm. to be like, no, your story's for white guys. I mean, maybe secretly everyone's like, yeah, it's for white guys, but no one says it, <laughs> which is something. I mean, the, the mid nineties was like kind of a glorious time for indie film for a little bit. Cause I yeah. worked at uh, indie video stores and stuff yeah. and we oh, had yeah. sections for everybody. And like Catherine Keener was in every movie and yes. like, it was just like that kind of like, yes. Oh, that cool DIY kind yeah. of thing. Like Sundance was really starting to take mm-hmm. foot. Um, that kind of thing. And then it feels to me like that. then indie film, like when Fox Searchlight and all those things mm-hmm. started picking things up, instead of finding the next Napoleon Dynamite, like then it became about like, okay, which indie starring 17 famous people is the one that we're going to push forward now? Just the longer yes. arm of the... Yeah. yeah. It just, it, then it became like, the actors are like, oh, no, there's artistic freedom over here. I'm going to go and do this. But then mm-hmm. it still became a studio system right. about these indie films and less about like, let's go it did. find the next it slam. Did. Or I remember, you know, of course, being a part of that. Yeah. It yeah. was like, I, I used to call Call it the uh, you know the baking a cake syndrome. Like, well, we'll get this person, and she's important in Germany, and this person's, mm. you know. And so, I think the indie movies started to become less organic in themselves. Like, yeah. you know. But that's what we do. Is you know, as soon as we have something, it's great. Then we start cannibalizing it, right. and making yep. fun of it, and like, oh, indie films, or you know, even with uh, you know, I remember being part of the Spirit Awards every year, and like that is the. That was always the joke about oh making fun of the low budgets and the you know the grittiness yeah. and the bad craft service <laughs> and it starts to cannibalize itself right. you know um, and then it's like great now we're at it. we've made, we've deconstructed yeah, to we've the ripped point apart what right we made. <laughs> and it's the same thing with the you know the I write in my in my book um, I blame Dennis Hopper there's a whole chapter which about my you know journey working with Allison Anders. And our, you know, the name of the chapter is called a sensitive female picture because that's mm-hmm. how we were labeled. Even though, yes, there was a woman at the center, mm-hmm. and yes, a woman was directing it, but basically, it was a story about you know a woman who's who's like finding her way in the music industry. It wasn't specifically a woman's film, yeah. But that is how they wanted to sell it, market it. Um, and I mean, it might have been a woman's film, but I went opening weekend, uh-huh. you know, like in college. I love Grace in my heart. I thought it was fantastic. And um, it was very interesting to see that side of it. You know, you've seen yeah. a lot of like biops on like the Beach Boys or that kind of that side of things. But to see a female artist come up through it and having to change her, you know, along the way, change her identity, that whole thing, too. And I, yeah. I thought it was fantastic. And the music. I mean, I was well, I, I think it's interesting. I mean, you know, if I had enough time. Uh, because I was making so many films in the 90s, to me, what Allison really represented at that time, you know, I can look at that now and see it, is the West Coast cineast 
versus the East Coast cineast. Mm. Oh, there's there's really that yeah. divide because I remember, you know, I was living in New York doing Grace in My Heart and I think it was, a, it was a more popular film in L.A. than it was in here because I'd come to L.A. and it was like Chris Doritas is playing all the music mm. on Morning Becomes, you know, Eclectic and, and it had, and Allison lives in L.A. and she's an L.A., you know, Quentin Tarantino cineast you know that was like her whole group of people was out here versus the new york people which is like the john sales and right. you know the grid the jim jarmusch the spike lee right and there in the 90s those were the two indie type films that were kind of being made but what's interesting is that none of these people and this is something we talked about last year you know Allison didn't nobody looked at her films and said great now we want you to do this you know big budget film like that didn't happen yeah. and so I think that that's you know the then the indie film starts to collapse and then you see a lot of people go to TV you know that's what happened to a lot of women Jane Campion yeah. for example I mean it would be unheard of for a director for if a male director like Jane Campion who does the piano and it's like this masterpiece and you know wins all these awards and really becomes part of like lexicon of cinema and now you know she's she's doing television not that that's a bad thing because i think that but it's a different trajectory it, yeah it doesn't seem like it, it yeah. doesn't seem like a trajectory of what would happen to yes a man which would be hey we want you to do these <laughs> japanese commercials and would you just lend your name to this pilot? And, mm. you know, oh, those right, are the yeah. things yeah. that happen to men that, A, give them a lot of money and, you know, and credibility, and they get their name out there. And this, again, goes back to last year. Like, women just cannot seem to get a foothold in the history books. So you have to... Welcome s- to our current political climate. I yes. mean, it's, I think well, all yeah. of these conversations are so inclusive of just the human experience and... It's really great to be able to do a project like your show where you get to just, you're looking at history, but it's yeah. also telling like, hey, look what we're doing right now. Like, learn from the, this. The female director that I find to be really interesting because I feel like she kind of went against everything was Catherine Bigelow because yeah. she made movies that seem very male. Yeah. They're these super, like, testosterone-fueled action films, like, even her, like, Blue Steel with Jamie Lee Curtis stuff yeah. like that, with the female lead yes. or whatever, but, like... She did a lot of that, and like she's one of the only ones that's been like kind of heralded, mm-hmm. which is kind of strange to me. It's like she does these movies that play super duty, and like she, you know, that she came through that whole. Thing. I mean, she's great. I mean, I think she's amazing, but it's just interesting to me that she was. She's kind of been able. She's to, like, like passing. Yeah, she's like in the boys' yeah. club in right. a weird way because she makes these action movies. Um, well, I think that again, if you look at uh, male directors, you know, you could have. Uh, Brian De Palma makes a certain type of movie. Curtis Hansen makes a certain type of movie. Hal Ashby, Martin Scorsese, Ed Burns. But women can only, you know, like, they could either make... So she's 45 years old. Her husband just left her. Her life is falling apart. Yeah. We start in the bookstore. Like, those are the movies that they're going to be offered unless they self-generate their work. And if they self-generate their work, it tends to be probably more more personal. Right. So I think that, you know, somebody like Catherine Bigelow, I don't know, I'd love to interview her, possibly made the choice to just 
you know, almost like Hillary Clinton, like, I'm going to remove yeah. my sex out of the equation. Yeah. And I'm just going to make movies and hope Do nobody work. notices right. Right. that I'm a girl. <laughs> you know, like, and then, like, if it makes money, you're like, all right, I'm going to stick with this program. I'll do, uh, I'll I'll do another one. See how happy I am. Right now. But, you know, if in the midst of that, she went and did a musical or something, I don't know, and it didn't do well. And they'd be like, oh, well, she should have yeah. at the helm of that. What yeah. were we thinking? And yeah, it's ridiculous. It's interesting that you mentioned, you know, because she's one of my favorite filmmakers is Anya Savarda and Lena Vertmuller. Like, they don't have that problem. <laughs> like, yeah. right, you know, over in Europe, you've got all these, which is what we talked about on the show last year. Like, women are directing films through the 40s and the 50s and hmm. the 60s and 70s. And there isn't, you know, wow. we, we just... We just didn't have that. They were able to make all these. It's so different movies. to like Europe versus the U.S. Like the hangups you have. Like their movies get bad ratings for violence. You can't put yes. violence in them. Oh, I know, I know. But it sex, who, who cares? <laughs> Nudity, who, yeah. no big deal. Here, it's like oh, you can blow a guy's head off, but don't show tits. Like, yeah, that's it's just so. And weird. look, let's look at our society's problems yeah, side by right. side too, and see yeah. what's working out for people. Yeah, it was Whoops. when I was inter- when I was interviewing Jane Fonda. Um, for the night on on uh, activists, uh, we got into this discussion ab- about these things that we're talking about. And I was like, "Well, why do you think that is?" She just looked at me like I was an idiot. She goes, "It's a patriarchal society." I was like, "Oh yeah, thank oh, you, yeah, thank you, thank you, Jane Fonda for explaining Jane Fonda right explaining now. that to me." That's amazing. Yeah. Well, I love hearing you talk about film. I mean, you're, which ties into your book, too. You've been like a student of film before you were an actor. And before that, you've been a victim of film, like, hence the name of your book. Yes. Well, the, the title of the book, it's called I Blame Dennis Hopper. Uh, it 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 stems from my, my parents who were, like, big movie-going uh, people before I was born they courted and dated through you know going to see movies and when they lived in New York but uh, in 1969 they saw the movie Easy Rider and changed our lives my father ended up leaving his job and convincing my mom to start a, uh, a commune called oh. the, the studio <laughs> started a band called 40 Acres and a Mule oh and, my god and we became hippies you so know you must love lost in America <laughs> yeah. yes and but you know this is something too that I talk and about how old were you this was I was about four when oh this happened oh my gosh so you know, at first it seemed fun, like colorful right. to a kid, like oh, all the hippie girls with their ponchos and their braids mm. and guys playing guitar and, you know, doing smoking pot and everything, at which I, which they called herbs. So I thought it was like herbs because my, <laughs> my mom was Italian. So I like, it's herbs. They're taking herbs. But uh, so at first it was very colorful. But as this went on, you know, we became poor because, you know, free love is not it's uh, a price, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not free yeah. exactly. free love is expensive uh all making all those you know you buying the potter's wheel and the clay and <laughs> the herbs yeah all those things are are not cheap they add up but so you know so we sort of became poor and as more and more people were living there it became like my parents were in their own movie they were in their kind of like easy rider you know movie and and my dad was like completely emulating you know this character he saw in the movie which was Dennis Hopper the values of 
the film Easy Rider. And that's along that time is when I kind of put it together and discovered that my grandfather was Melvin Douglas, was a really famous movie star. That's right. I was wondering about that. By putting it together, do you mean it hadn't been mentioned to you? Like, had you well, no, known him as your grandfather? Yeah, no, yeah, you, you just, you know, as you're, when you're a kid, yeah. you don't, you don't realize that, you know, somebody's just your, anything other than somebody's just your grandpa. Right. Right. Like I knew, I I knew that we were poor hippies, and I knew that they lived in a huge, beautiful house <laughs> on a lake with a 1959 Mercedes, and oh I was gosh. like, this seems more this like a good one. Yeah, I'm like, I, <laughs> can we split the difference here? There's got to be something. I like this. Like, there's jam and there's food <laughs> on the table. It's like there's not like hippies, you know, taking your food from you, and uh, so you know, I put it together more and more. Like, okay, he's somebody special. Yeah. He's somebody, and there was all these special people around him, you know, that seemed like really interesting and sophisticated. And it, I, you know, the hippie life for me as a kid was as it, as it became like more and more scary and kind of out of control and the you know the the studio sort of took hold with all these like crazy hippies and stuff uh i gravitated more towards being with my grandfather and that's when i kind of hatched an idea of course about becoming uh an actor you know myself yeah and it, of course, it wouldn't be called "I Blame Dennis Hopper" unless I grew up, of course, to become an actress and right. be, get right. cast in a movie with Dennis Hopper playing my father, so figure type lover. And I was, you know, so I couldn't wait to meet him and blame him for everything that had ever happened to me, you know, because this was like, have we hadn't seen that movie? You know, none of yeah, this. Would oh my gosh! Melvin Douglas is great too. He's in two of my favorite movies, and being there and Americanization of Emily. Oh, great film! So good. Yeah, I mean. The lottery of grandpas. That's a really, yeah, he really good was. one. Like, and he, and he looked like a grandpa too. <laughs> like whenever I see him in movies in the seventies, eighties, yeah. it's like grandpa. Because he, you know, I I didn't get to see him age. He was older when you know, as I had the you know recollections of him. So he really was, you know, grandpa. And I know from the book and from hearing you speak, you got to not just like be sort of on the outside of that world but almost part of it and a little yes. bit like there and invisible because you were so young and mm-hmm. eager but like on the sets with legends just well that's yeah that's sort of what i talk about like my life sort of starts to become a movie with my parents in their 60s movie and then me gravitating towards my grandfather and then he invited me to the set of being there and again like i'm, <sighs> I'm still living at home we're like at this point my uh, my dad has moved out, and we're like, you know, living. We're, we're like really poor. I'm like, we're the poor single mom, and then my grandfather comes and like invites me to the set of being there, and you know they're shooting in this. I mean, it's like it's like a Dickens novel, you know, like yeah. where I'm riding in a town car with my grandfather, <laughs> and they have jam, <laughs> yeah, to the set and. You know, and I'm, I've got posters on my wall of Peter Sellers, Ugh. and I'm, like, going to meet, you know, Peter Sellers. So it was like, who wouldn't want to be? It seemed like this magical, you know, so kingdom. Magical. And it's like, oh, is this Melvin's granddaughter? And they put the little special chair for me. And Aww. so it was like every fantasy a poor kid has. Yeah. 
was like, yeah, this is like Dickens. This is like, this is what I dreamed of. Like, I'd be plucked. It's and, a make-a-wish, but I'm not dying. This is great. I get to keep living. <laughs> so I got to, you know, I got to watch them shoot. And wow. So coming out of that experience and then sort of going back into my real world experience, which is, you know, living with my mom, single mom, it was like I just started to fall more and more into uh, a movie-like existence. I painted my room entirely black and white and silver. I would not have anything else in it. And I just started to become, like, literally obsessed with films at that point. Like, And I think it was to have this connection with my grandfather so that I could... And escape, I'm sure, too. Yeah, well, just, we could, yeah. you know... So there's the, there's the escaping part, and there's also the connection of I have to be in the movie now, you yeah. know? And I, and I think that uh, I started living my life as a movie. I've never really stopped doing that. Like, people will say that to me all the time. Like, this isn't a movie. And I'm like, <laughs> it actually is. <laughs> Bad I'm sorry. News. And, there's, um, and there's soundtrack. <laughs> and there's scary music. <laughs> or there's happy music. Like, to me, it is all a movie. It's yeah. all a movie. You know, I don't... Um, I, I, I mean, sometimes when it's not a movie is when it's disappointing. For, of course, for, yeah, because it's empty and boring. I know. <laughs> when I'm in real life and no one's getting fetching me, a, you know, a cappuccino, it's uh, it's kind of sad. No, thanks. It, it is amazing that when if you get into film at an early age, like my dad, like I mean, I'm a child of HBO. I always say that because you know, born in the late '70s and. In the early 80s, he sit at home a lot in HBO. to shows everything a billion times. Yeah. Uh, but also, my, my dad especially was a big, you know, cinephile, and so he mm. really got me into film. And, like, he bought one of those first top-loading VCRs. It was, like, $1,200. Yes. And sounded like an aircraft carrier when mm-hmm. you were wanting a yeah. thing. And, like, you know, his dream was, like, one day I'm going to be able to have a movie. Like, whatever movie I want to watch, I'll be able to just have it, you know, like, uh, yeah. that wasn't a thing. And, like, now it's, like, well, now we don't even want to have it. Just have yeah. it in the cloud someplace, right. and you can yank it off of that. Mm. So I have, like, thousands of DVDs and Blu-rays and stuff like that. It just, like, feels like they're gathering cobwebs and dust. Mm-hmm. But I, once you, you're part of that, like, it's hard. It's always ingrained in you. Yeah. And I know for me growing up, like, I had – my walls were just covered with movie posters that I got from the video store for free. Like, when they were – Right. Like, they took stuff down, they put them in a bin, and I would just take them up. So – not always the best films, but yes. You know, also, I the house we lived in, I was given uh, an old like a little girls' room, mm-hmm. so I had like strawberry wallpaper. And I'm like, oh, we're putting movies. <laughs> <for this." laughs> um, but yeah, when you get introduced to that early age, it just becomes like a thing you're obsessed with, as opposed to something just casual that you go to do as like you know, a well, thing. See, I really believe, and I'm, it, is that when that's your own kind of you know, your brain is like wet cement, right? And so you, it, there is an effect by yeah. all those movie posters. It's not just like decorating your room, I think. I no, think you're it's building like, your identity. And yeah, you, you get immersed yeah. in films, you know, and it becomes, it starts to represent something that, it does seem like, again, maybe society was a little simpler in those days. It was either like, there were the cool kids or the nerd, you know, or yeah. you were a nerd. Mm-hmm. And that, those were, you know, so it was like, if you weren't accepted in the in the cool kid genre, then usually gravitated towards movies, you yeah. know, and that's what I write about too. Like, you know, my imaginary friend, you know, Richard Dreyfuss mm-hmm. became for me because he seemed to just be in every movie. Yeah. That I, like in my age range, you know, it's like, and Richard Dreyfuss is in the <laughs> But um, so he became for me an outlet 
which is, you know, my first one was Groucho Marx. Like I discovered Groucho Marx and I became, I was like, I'm Groucho Marx. I <laughs> would dress like Groucho Marx and, you know, make little smart remarks and everything. And then from Groucho, it goes to Richard Dreyfus. I see Richard Dreyfus and the Goodbye Girl and I become like, I'm like, that's who I'm going to be. Oh my gosh. To, I'm going to be Elliot Garfield. It, it, you know, so funny to me because like, for me it was, it was Cusack's character in the sure thing, Walter Jim Gibson. That to me I was like, that's the coolest guy ever. He's yeah. funny and he's off the cuff, but he's confident in himself. Like I want to be that guy. Like it's just funny how you. No, yeah, I wanted that. to be. My mom was obsessed with classic films. They were always playing only black and white. We had a black and white TV, so I guess everything was black and white. Yes, but it was just always on the old movie channel, and I became so obsessed with Catherine Hepburn and bringing up Baby, and I was uh-huh. like, that's I what I want that. my life to be. Well, you sort of look like her. God. So wait, did Wizard of Oz? Did Wizard of Oz just stay black and white then? I'm like, what's the big deal? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what the big deal is. Yeah, there's a lot of little munchkins around. (laughs) It's just kind of weird. But it is funny those things. Like, I know it's still so a part of me. The the things that you kind of fantasize about as a child. It's still like when I imagine the dream of what appeals to me. It's like, oh, so much of that fabric is yeah. from so long ago. You know, it becomes really a part of who you are. Yeah. I mean, I think in the in the drive to become successful, as you grow up, you forget all those things. And then at a certain point, it's interesting, you start to revert back to yeah. all the things. You know, the music, everything mm-hmm. becomes like about... Uh, well, I always think trying to understand your childhood, yeah. even if you have a nice childhood, yeah. I think there's a sense of trying to put the pieces together and and make sense of, of things. Yeah. And, you know, it was funny, like when you said your dad with a giant video machine and then you're working in a video store. Right. Like there's that. Oh, 100 percent. You know, definitely. I mean, I, I remember like some of my fondest memories are like with that VCR, just watching the pie fight scene in The Great Race over and over mm, and over, yeah. finishing it, rewinding it, watching it again, rewinding oh, it, watching yeah. it again. Because you could do that then. Yeah. You know? It's just like the coolest thing. Oh, my God. Thing. That ability to have a, a tape. I remember yeah. in in the 80s uh, when a f- good friend of mine, a uh, gay guy living down in the village, came out, had this one videotape of Grey Gardens. And that's oh. what was – that movie was out of circulation you know, this was in the eighties, mm. and uh, he's like, "You got to see this movie." He goes, "But I got to bring it back because there was only like literally <laughs> this one tape oh, that was so being, exciting that was being passed around." And so, a film like Great Gardens, you know, I really believe like that was the circuit of people, you know, uh, gay guys watching it, passing it around, and you know, I was watching it. And I remember giving it to my friends and talking about people, and the, and then the slow sort of uh, growth of that of that film um, you know because it was kept alive like that yeah exactly yeah. and that's how movies were in those days there'd be like these obscure cult movies and oh, it was yeah. such a big deal like you had the videotape yeah you know? I had Curious way. Yellow was like a big one those movies yeah mm-hmm. I just remember from like working in the video store like you know before DVD came we had tons of VHS we had all yeah. these director sections that I made and all, you know actor sections mostly directors and stuff and we would go to this like warehouse in Sacramento it was like you know a good two hour drive from San Francisco mm-hmm. where they would just get when video stores would closed down they would get all their inventory and then they would let us go through that with a cart and just like whatever tapes you want to buy for your store they're like five dollars each or whatever yeah and we would just go through and i knew what was in print i knew what was out of print i knew what was rare and it was just like this awesome treasure 
quest for me and we would spend like three hours there you know on different sides of the store mm. and I would like freak out and like yeah <laughs> I, would, I found this one like it's a really terrible Alan Arkin Carol Burnett movie Choo Choo and the Philly Flash it's not yes. good mm-hmm. but like that, I was like a completist with Alan Arkin because I right. loved him loved him loved yeah. him so much and like, I remember finding a copy of it in like the long box like the really big box and like freaking out like I won the lottery and oh. then of course I went and watched and I was like that wasn't worth it but I was but so I excited it. that yeah. I, yeah. I found it because I could complete it and like, yeah. that kind of stuff too just like finding these rare out of print tapes at the time. Well, sometimes, like, if, you know, you're mentioning Alan Arkin, have you ever seen a movie called Fire Sale? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't think that exists anywhere, I, but I've got my, I still have my precious video of that. In yeah. fact, I will, like, I've mentioned it, you know, I met Rob Ryder, I was like, I've seen, I've got a copy of Fire Sale, you know. <laughs> People, <spread> in it. <laughs> I love the movie, it's so dark, it's yeah. so crazy. I have seen it, I don't think I've even heard the name before. Alan Arkin is a co, it begins, it's surreal, the opening is insane, he's, I think it's California, right? Yeah, I think so, or, yeah. You know, but he's a coach of a basketball team, and the basketball team is losing, and it literally, the first scene is the movie is like people are are throw they're trying to eat breakfast and people are throwing uh, rocks through the window and he's like just calmly going about like eating and uh, he decides a, he's at this playground in the, you know like South Central and and sees this uh, really tall uh, uh, blackhead and and they adopt him. And so that they can have a winning basketball team. Oh I mean my it's God. so it's so like on PC. Yeah. It's and those genius. things were just like not available for weird reasons. Usually, it's licensing or it's music yeah. or something strange. And like, there were people online too that would make businesses out of like obscure movies that they taped off of TV at some point or something. Yes, I remember so, that. So I would like pay to like get things or like yeah. find things from my dad that he used to watch on TV. That he loved. And, like there was yeah. this Bob Hope movie called That Certain Feeling mm-hmm. that like was hard to find. I found that and I was like, look, Dad, I got it for you for Aww. Christmas one year. This whole Aww. thing and just. And then Warner Archive would put these things out where like, yeah. they, yeah. they, they started doing stuff. They're like, all right, if you want to order it, we'll burn it for you. I'm yeah. doing that, and I would mm-hmm. do that, and that kind of stuff, too. It's- do you have a big library of things? Like, do you like having tangible films? Oh, yeah. No, I am uh, I met the guys from uh, Mystery Science Theater when mm-hmm. I was on my book tour. I was like, do you know that I cannot give away like my videotapes? Because I would tape... Uh, Mystery Science Theater. Oh my god! I would videotape it and then I'd like archive it. You know. Oh, that's all right. And, I work uh, with those guys sometimes. I do riff tracks with those guys. And Frank for me, it's surreal. Yeah, for yeah. you know Frank and Mike and Joel and all those guys. Yeah, when that surreal. show came on, like that just to me was you know, and I would that was when I was in a relationship with Martin Scorsese, so we would like wa- you know we loved watching that oh, show. That's amazing. Except occasionally. You know, the movie would come on and, you know, Marty would be like, that's unfair. That's actually a good... That's, <laughs> They've gone un- too far. It's unfair to that film. That's actually a good film. So <laughs> if I was away, you know, he had a, an archivist, which I, his name is Kent Jones, who's now gone on. Kent Jones is a scholar now and runs wow. Lincoln Film Center and he interviewed me at Film Forum and but I was teasing him. I was like, I'll still remember you as the, <laughs> as the guy that taped Mystery Science Theater for me and sent it to me on location. But so those are the That's things so that like, yes, I can I can sort of throw away my copy of Beyond Therapy directed by Robert Altman. I have a VHS of that. (laughs) You know, it's like you're like, oh. But uh, so some of those I'm like, you can get these online. You can throw away. But some of the things that are the the hand videotaped things, the archivist in me uh, cannot 
cannot get them away because they represent yeah. a time, right? You know when, um, well, when it was like purposeful, it was full of intent yeah. to get it. And I mean, my dad still has a lot of the stuff he tapes, like hundreds of tapes, and like we bought one of those. VHS to DVD like yeah. recorders, and I've just been when I've been home sometimes like trans- starting to transfer things mm-hmm. over. They're like, "There's no way you're going to get this again." Yeah, yeah. You know, some stuff's not on DVD. Some stuff was reissued, but like it's this. You, I, let me put this on DVD, or it's, yeah, because it's going to die. The tape is going to die. And I yeah. even have nostalgic things for the stuff my grandfather taped for me because they had channels that we didn't have, right? And so he would videotape stuff. But I'm even nostalgic for like the commercials on those tapes and totally. stuff. Totally, like. You can't get that on a. I think DVD. everybody does. You know, it, it's so. It feels like you're flashed back to a time. It's yeah. so full that no streaming can take the place of those little moments. No, I think you know. Again, as we're more and more in this instant society, it's like you want to. You know, you want to go back. Yeah, you're hungry. Yeah. yeah, and 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 relive the. You know, it also gives you, for me anyway, it gives me a sense of clarity about my life. I look at a commercial and I'm like, what was I, you know, because I'm so self centered. <laughs> what was I doing when that commercial was out? It's your movie. So, it, yeah, <laughs> in my own movie. <laughs> so I, it, it represents, again, like a time, like, because I've been going through my tapes and deciding what to save. And, you know, like I, I taped all of the uh, Olympics, the year of Tanya Harding. Oh, wow. I taped everything. But, you know, you can't get those. Like yeah. all those confrontations. That's not out. That was a maybe rich, it is, rich time. Well, even like we have some of the 96 USA Basketball Dream Team stuff on tape. Yes. And like that's like pretty fun to watch. Yeah. But like also yeah. the, I remember getting so mad at the time because they'd be like, well, the U.S. is up 33 to 6 over <laughs> Angola. Let's cut away to what I was like, no, we want to uh, watch them the do- get dominated. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. But yeah, a lot of that stuff's out there. It's pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wait. We should also mention you have a podcast starting by the same name of the book. Yes. my uh, Well, my the paperback of I Blame Dennis Hopper, which you can still get the hardcover now on Amazon and various outlets. Uh, the paperback's coming out October 8th. That'll also be the day that I'm starting uh, my own podcast with After Buzz Network. And uh, we'll be ha- having people on to talk about films and films that they love and you know a little bit about their career but much more really about you know just stories about films and what were the first films that they saw and what influenced them yeah movies yeah. they think deserve a second look and uh you know just trying to remember that the you know the culture of filmmaking here in america is so important and yeah. such an art form i don't want to see it forgotten about right you know Oh, that's exciting. you got a big so week great. coming up. Yes, and mm. then Trailblazing Women begins on the TCM. Sixth, TCM yeah. yeah, October 6th. And also, I think we all have one connective thread, which is the late bloomer. Oh, that's right. Kevin uh, Pollack's Kevin's film. Kevin's film. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Which Vanessa's got a fairly substantial part in. Yes. yes. Uh, I crossed the street with a tool at one point. It's <laughs> great. Um, that's coming out soon. I think it's going to be oh, on yeah. Netflix pretty soon, too. I think it comes out maybe at the end of the month or something, yes. something like that. I, th- I um, believe it does. Yeah. So you also got a background a little bit in sketch comedy, which we all do too. Mm -hmm. Uh, Manhattan Punchline, I guess that was... Tell us a little bit about that. Way back in the day? Yeah. Okay, let's go back to... What is this? 80 must have been... This is when I got out of acting school, so this would have been like 86, 87. I started working for a place called Manhattan Punchline, and we just, you know, you took comedy classes there, and then you did sketches and you wrote sketches and you performed them on the on the stage it was on 42nd street um 
and it was you know amazing opportunity. I started doing stand up based on on that experience. But then, which was so funny, like you know, as you know, with all these like they take all these sketch plays, they take themselves so seriously. Oh yeah, that's when when I was. Doing that, I was also working for this film publicist, Peggy Siegel, and that's like at the same time, I got the job looping in The Last Temptation of Christ, and then, you know, I got, I was going to get the job. Because you had on your resume, right, blood-curdling Blood curdling scream as a special skill. I love that. Actually, yeah, came, came, in, came in handy. But uh, I was doing that, and then I was, you know going to be doing this i got the small part in the new york stories and i remember we were doing sketches at the same time and in those days i don't know how your places worked but in order not to pay like you took the comedy classes and you did these scenes but you had to work the box office right. or you had to paint scenery or you know you, you worked in the office like things yeah. like that as a as a trade-off and I remember saying, like, I was going to need time off because I was going to be in this film. And the person who ran the place was like, you're not a professional, you know, like, that. you can't do that. You know, you either do the movie or, you, oh my gosh, or you're God. here doing the box office. Well, it's, I guess I'm doing the movie. I was, like, I was like, it's a movie. We were like, I can't come back. I was like, if I do the movie, I can't come back. So, like, I, you know. So oh, my God. I, I got kicked. I'd be like somebody getting called up to the major leagues and be like well if you don't want to play in triple a anymore that's yeah. fine well we needed you at the hot dog stand but that's how things were like you know even when i was at the neighborhood playhouse like you that was one of the rules like you could not be in a film wow you couldn't be in a film or theater thing and of course like you know we would all cheat and like we'd get to little, have a career <laughs> well we'd get like a little extra like you'd, there'd be an extra call or something and uh, i remember um there was a movie, oh, I can't even think of the name of it, but, you know, a bunch of us, like, just sort of word went around about, like, yeah, you get paid $100 or something, you know, and <laughs> be an extra movie. We're all terrified, you know. So every day we'd be in a tent outside, and any time the guy would come in, we'd sort of try to hide or <laughs> in a book so we would never really be on camera. But I stupidly, uh, they said, does anyone know at a... I was so crazy. Here's a movie about religion. And somebody said, does anyone know how to make this sign of a cross? Like they were doing a movie with, <laughs> what? with priests in a church and like nobody knew how to make this sign. Nobody of a looked into that. Cross. And I was like, I know, I do. You know, <laughs> next thing I knew they were like, I was front and center. Oh my gosh. In uh, getting, the, you know, I got chosen by the director to receive communion. And I was so terrified that I actually like closed my eyes. <laughs> so I was like, some, I was like, maybe I won't be recognized. And I, only like one, uh, once in my entire career, somebody was like, I think I s- Saw you in a movie. Like, <laughs> were you in a movie giving, you know, communion? Were so my they, eyes closed? Yeah. Because so it there, wasn't me. So there were movies that I can't even say I am an extra in. There right. was to say I, I was paid as an extra, but I never was on camera because ah. we successfully yeah, that's, hid. It's funny you bring that up because, like, I started doing extra work in San Francisco when I was living up there. And, like, 
it was funny to me because there would be like what I call the extra lifers, the people uh, that just do it yeah. forever. Like yeah. they, that's what they want to do. They don't want lines. They, yeah. they they just work for them. Yeah. They like being around it. They like being able to tell their own set stories. Yeah. yeah. But they're the lifers, and it's interesting to me because I remember like one of them, like this older black gentleman and his wife were, were doing it forever, and he was giving me like took me under his wing like one day at this mm-hmm. thing, and it was just funny. He's like, he's like, what you want to do is like try to get on the outskirts, like beat the back, because <laughs> then you come back the next day. Because if you're if you're close yeah. and they catch you on camera, then like oh I've seen that guy. Yeah. We don't want to bring him back. So if you want to work tomorrow, be on the God. outskirts. Yeah. He's like, don't be. He's like, I think his advice is don't be memorable. It was like one thing he said. <laughs> good, like, good note. Like, All right. <laughs> Hence the name extra. Yeah. Right. Don't oh be memorable. my gosh. Now they're even called background, which is yeah. even worse. I think. Yeah. Which it's is like even scenery. More demeaning. Yeah. And, they, yeah. and they, for some reason, background is supposed to be better in like their minds. They're like, well, we're not calling you extras. You're background. Yeah. You're background actors. You know, like. I well, somewhere along the way, like you started noticing in movies the background and the extras. Like oh, yeah. you never noticed them in the seventies. Like they were just filming. You know, that's my favorite thing is to watch any movie where there's like a college party. Oh yeah, just watch the people in the background because it's friggin' hilarious. It's they're overacting like crazy. Well, and when you know? it's like you know the music's obviously not playing there and everyone's dancing to like a different thing going on. Yeah. I love to watch. Yeah, we all have been. They're always <laughs> holding red solo cups. There's always groups of three and they're talking, yeah. and then one. Person like I know. kicks their head back like somebody said the funniest <laughs> thing in the world. Like, yeah, ah, and they're like high fiving each other. And- well, that's where that's because somewhere along the way, and I saw this happen that the director stopped directing the extras. It used to be like you know when I was cast in Goodfellas, you know, many many years ago. You know, Martin Scorsese's doing all the. You know, we were the the we were hired for like run of the picture. You know what I mean? And mm. they had hundreds of extras that were like in the background but they would all be loaded in and you know and then they'd be like all right marty's gonna talk to you you know so if it was a wedding scene he'd say okay everyone this is what i want you to do somewhere along the way it started to be that the director uh that the first ad it was like a delegated task yeah. yeah And I don't know who did that. That's, you know, when I'm directing a movie, I'm like, that's not going to happen to me. Yeah. Because that's how you get really bad. <laughs> like, that's how you get those weird, stilted, like, when I'm in a movie, I can't stand it because I'm sitting there waiting to do my scene and I've gotten direction from the director. And the first AD is telling the ex, okay, you cross. All right, cross there. Cross there. And yeah. so it's, it's. None of it is like organic, yeah. so that's why you get all. that. I mean, people can't see us, but that like I'm walking purposefully across. Yeah, the, you know, now and I it's go. like that. And now they, I go. Yeah, they, they, that's why they like stick out, and that's why you can't. You know, it's never. You know, it never looks like real. a person being a person. And that's why no. it's like watch a party scene in any Robert Allman movie, and like that's a party scene. Like, yeah, he really threw a party for the most part, and right. they're all just kind of talking, and he's just kind of observing with the camera. And yeah, like, yes, he catches the main dialogue stuff that he needs or whatever, but it never feels not no. like a real yeah. get together. Yeah, you got to include everybody in, yeah. in, in it. You know, sometimes again, like I've done, I mean, when I'm part of a movie and there's a crowd scene, you're you're better off with the ones that have just like shown up. Like Terry Zwigoff, master of the extras. You will really? not. Yeah, I mean, look at Ghost World. Mm-hmm. They do Amazing not movie. look like someone who even has one line. Mm-hmm. He he's obsessed with like the reality and having them look. You know, real in every part. Like he'd he'd rather have a friend come in and do a favor, you know, and be an extra or something than 
you know. Well, and that pays off. And like, just I wouldn't have known what to put my finger on in that, but it just always feels authentic. And it's yeah. Like, oh, that's yeah. It's a person more that like cares about life. all the things. Yeah. yeah, more like real life. Yeah. Well, I always like again is it if you're if you're thinking about directing. Um, you know, I, I, you look at nature and nature is always, always like perfectly, you know, it's so interesting, like leaves on a tree, you're like, oh, there's three there and there's four there. And so you see these patterns and it's the same thing. Like when people sit in a group, you, you just observe the way they sit. People don't sit in a little, like, you know, they, they or to a couch looking ahead. No, <laughs> like in real life, if you're in, you know, a theater, the first two rows are empty. Yeah. You know, like there are certain, you know, kind of things. So in a, in a movie, I think he just. It's a real to, party. Then everybody should be in the hallway or the kitchen. Right. Right. That's what always happens. Yeah. I yeah. Don't understand no matter it, what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Used to be the thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Well, let's do first. Okay. We great. do a different first question every podcast. A different sure. first from life. Uh, you want to do the comedy record one? Yeah, that's All right. right. What was the first comedy record album you can remember being oh, to? Well, I write about in my book, 2,000-Year-Old Man. Oh, there you 2000 go. 2,000-Year-Old Man. Somebody, uh, my grandfather, had uh, given it to the family, and I remember uh, it was such a privilege this year. I got to interview Carl Reiner, hmm. and that's how I introduced him. Is like, you know, my understanding, my baby steps of what comedy was, was watching my parents put on this album and laugh hysterically and you'd like a new concept what, like, what's <laughs> happening you know and those routines for me i i you know quote them weekly they're 2000 year old man to me is just like absolute uh genius and then you know i won't get in 2013 year old man and then the woody allen albums and things i was really into comedy albums albert brooks of course yeah but first was 2000 year old man nice what was yours Vanessa? I don't really have a specific memory of like what the first thing was, but my mom, again, so influential, loved Nichols and May, and mm-hmm. so grew up just hearing always. Um, and I think, like, especially the older I get, it is one of those things I kind of like spaced out about that being influential. Yeah, and it's like that is exactly the type of thing I find funny. Yes, is I mean, it's that tone. Like, I revisited a lot of stuff of theirs recently, and. I've been doing sketchy growlings and all this stuff for so mm-hmm. long, and it's like, oh, that's what I like. Like yeah. to me, those rhythms and the way it was, like this man woman team that it was genderless what they mm-hmm. were doing. Like the comedy was not like let's find a funny situation for a man. It was like yeah. these small moments exploded, and they were just such keen observers of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just remember like absorbing that, but never paying too much attention to it. And mm-hmm. then as a grown up, like looking back, be like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How nice. about you, Coley? Uh, it was definitely Albert Brooks's Comedy Minus One. Mm. I loved it to death. I mean, now I prefer Stars, but, but like Comedy Minus One to me at the time, like I did the routine, I had the app, all the open up, you know, trying to do like a you know mechanics voice, and I'm like eight years old, you know, like that. To me, was the best thing ever. That's why Albert's always been my comedy hero. Yeah. He always will be, just because I think oh, he's, he's just he's like the best, yeah. and like a comics comic in a lot of ways and not recognize the way he should be except by, I think by the people that matter. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But like, you know, most people you say who he is and like eventually you might get like, Oh, he's the voice of Marlon and Nemo. Okay. You know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he's just, yeah. To me, that was like the best thing ever. Yeah. Oh. Richie Havens. Yeah. Richie, 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 Richie. <laughs> you Richie? Gonna... <laughs> I'm going to kill you. <laughs> that whole thing. I know. Kills well, me. that was also like a part of, you know, my, 
social upbringing is that even as I got older and it be and the albums became like Cheech and Chong and Richard Pryor, like you know Saturday Night Live, you know we would go to each other's houses and put on albums and you know it's a simpler time oh, I guess. So do our little like routines, do our you know. And during school, like we would replicate all these oh. all these routines, yeah. and the rewriting of the national anthem is like oh. one of the per- most perfect comedy bits that there is. Yeah, it's the best. Yeah, it's, it's so the best. Good. Oh, Albert, um, should we do the? Do you want to do the build a movie? Sure. All right, uh, we do these sometimes. We're build a movie. Uh, we're going to go around. We're going to build a movie together improvisationally. Yes. Okay. There are no. Um, we can, there's no budget constraints. There's no time constraints. So Humphrey Bogart and Miley Cyrus could be in it together. Ooh. Doesn't matter. I okay. mean, finally those two together at last. <laughs> yes, people uh, want it. Right. So in, in spirit with your trailblazing women show. Yes. Uh, let's build a, a biofilm about a young female director going through the system. Ooh. Fictional. Yeah. Bio. Okay. It'll be fictional. It'll be somebody doesn't. But you know, sort of like yeah. Grace of My Heart was like a combination yes. of a lot of different people, but wasn't one particular thing. Uh, let's do something like that. Okay. So do you want to start off here? Who do you want to have in it? Oh, gosh. Well, now, um, okay, because you mentioned her earlier, she's on my brain, but let's have Catherine Keener as the mother of the director. As I don't the, know who the mother, uh, the young female director that will be up and coming. Uh-huh. I don't know what the whole story is, but I want her to be the the mom. So we keep coming back to her. I feel like she has a big part in it. Maybe uh, she's the one, like in your story, kind of, not exactly, but introducing her daughter to film at a really young age that's more influential than she knows. Okay. Well, if she's the mother, then then you can who you can choose anyone as the daughter? Anyone yep. from any time. And we'll, we'll age her up and age her down. Yeah, so ah. there'll be, she'll be played by probably a couple different actresses, I would assume, if we're starting young and then right. moving up. Well, if she, I guess she sort of has to look like Catherine Keener, so I'm going to say, I don't I'm going to say Ann Baxter. Do you know who that is? Oh, yeah. Okay, so I know that's sort of an odd choice, but I'm going to go Ann Baxter because I was thinking of All About Eve. And yeah. She has that like interesting, ruthless quality. Intensity. In that film. And yeah. she's also one of my favorite actresses. I Are love. you guys going to cover her? Uh, no, we did not. It, the hardest thing in the world is like who we um, cover, but... I urge everyone to go watch her work in a film called The Razor's Edge. Mm. She's astonishing. It's one. It's in one of my favorite films, The Razor's wow. Edge. Um, but and she's in All About Eve, and she's amazing in that. But uh, she just was a really interesting kind of tough lady. I think probably a little bit troubled, um, but you know, just had an amazing quality. I think. What time period should we set this film in? Good question. Thank um, you. I I always like the fifties, but great. yeah, I like that good too. Good clothes, yeah, because you can do great clothes, mm-hmm. melodrama. Yep. Smoke yeah. looks like. good on camera. It's, yeah, you know, it's not healthy, but it looks yeah. very nice. <laughs> so she's coming up uh, in the fifties. A young, like she's taken under the wing of somebody. Like some, right. she's she starts out as an actress on something. Let's right. say that okay. she's like an extra in one of those big like. Stupid Roman like sword and sandals. Films oh or yeah, whatever. yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. But she's kind of seeing the inner workings of how the set works or whatever. And then yes. like one of the actors takes a shine to her and is like, "Hey, come on, can't I'll show you around or whatever." You know that kind of thing. So that's how she initially gets a feel for the thing. Who's mm-hmm. he? Uh, is he, he a lecher or is he a good guy? No, he's good. Okay, he's a good guy. He's mm-hmm. like he's like a Gregory Peck type. Ooh. Um, on this thing too. I don't mind that. Why? Yeah, sure. So I'll go with Gregory Peck, and we'll have Peck play him. Okay. So there we go. Great. So Peck's like, show it around. Hey, kid, stick with me. Yeah. You'll get the... And she does. And she does. 
Uh, maybe she gets some more bit parts. Like she does kind of embrace the acting thing, but it gets very stifling very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, could it sort of be a Victor Victoria where her first, she starts kind of uh, posing as a man to try to like learn the behind the scenes stuff? Are we okay with that? What very are we daring. That's for, daring. For, very for, daring. Amer- I don't know. For America. Yeah. Can we do this? We want this film to make money first and foremost. Yes. Um, that's very Okay, so how about me. that? But then she's like, there's a, a, a like maybe an Otto Preminger, maybe like that kind mm. of director who's like a European director working in the studio system. So he's right. there and he sees her and he's like, this is ridiculous, kid. Come on. Be yourself. And like urges her to just like... <laughs> Not do this whole thing. So she does it for a little bit. That's okay. a beautiful monologue. You but don't he, have to be a man. Yeah, but he's like, knock this shit out, basically, is what he tells her. Okay. And at that point, she's already kind of got a foothold in this, whatever this fictitious studio system is that we're creating for the Yes. Film. Well, whatever it is, Walter Pigeon has to run the studio. Yeah. Because well, he yeah. always <laughs> sort of, he always seemed to be the studio head. Yeah. All those movies. Meanwhile, Catherine Keener is um, seducing yeah. Gregory Peck. Oh, really? Yeah, so, why not? She is. <laughs> Yeah, sure. God, I mean, why not? See me in Who there? wouldn't? <laughs> to get the film greenlit, they're like, we need to put some romance into this. Yeah. Uh, I do a subplot with the mom and Gregory Peck. People like that. But wait a minute! But Gregory Peck is married. <gasps> uh oh. To a famous woman who's married to the head of the studio system. Oh, oh no! no. Then she's married twice. Wait a minute! <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Whose father is the head of the studio? Oh. Wait a minute. So what if? What if? Um, and Baxter, you know, she's finally getting her shot at directing, and somehow we got a hinge together that Gregory Peck having an affair with her mother unhinges oh. her entire career. Oh my gosh. Her film career, her first big directing gig. And now, this mom, the movie's called Mom. Just kidding. <laughs> So wait, she, she, she's kicked out of the studio, at least for then. Oh. Yeah. But she became really good friends with the, the DP on one of the things. And he's yeah. like, I'll, I'll come shoot something with you. Why right. Not, there, right? He's, he's doing uh, movies on Poverty Row. Yeah. Ooh. To call it. And she has to pull double duty. She's going to act in it a little, too. Yeah. To make it happen. Act and direct. Yeah. That's good. And she tells Peck, you can make it up to me by yeah. starring in this film that I'm going to make. I, I so think it's amazing. And the first day she's about to shoot, she gets a phone call. Her mother has a stroke. Oh, man. Yeah, I got to add that. Another hurdle. No, she's like, so she has to choose. Right. She picks the film. Do I go to... (laughs) Do I save my mother? Or do I make this damn picture? She makes. She goes and she She goes and she sees her mom. And then her mom's using one of those, like, boards to communicate (laughs) to make it even sadder. And then, <laughs> and then she just like she spells out something like "ready for my close up" or something to like tell her to like yes. make oh, your movie. Go make your movie. So she knows like I gotta go make yeah. the movie. So she goes and does that. Yeah. And then the movie is amazing. And then of course the Walter Pigeon guy is like, "You gotta come back to the studio, kid. Yes. You got that whole thing." That's right. And when she wins her Academy Award, she thanks her mom, who's now dead. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And herself. Yeah. For having the gumption to make it happen. And then we cut to Gregory Peck smiling. Sort of by a curtain, Riley. <laughs> I think they've had under, out okay. underneath it. They had a little maybe a flirtation too, but he's still married yeah. unhappily. Yeah. Yeah. He never left his wife. He couldn't. He he's couldn't. too much of a cog in the machine. He admires how she wasn't though. Yeah. Yep. Gosh, what could have been? That's, sounds like we got a picture, kids. Yeah, oh, we got a real uh, picture. What are we gonna call it? Though? We gotta give it oh. a title. Ooh. Um, I mean, if it's up to Hollywood, it'd be something bland like that thing that happened. <laughs> but, um, Gee whiz. Something with driven in it. 
How about that? Okay. I, I just like that word. Picture driven? Doesn't make Picture sense. Picture driven. Uh, what about driven wild? Driven wild. Because she's like so off yeah. the charts in terms of she does it her own way. Sure. I like that. They would like that. Driven like, it's, wild. It's got some action to it. We like yeah. it. We don't know what it means, I like it. but yeah. Driven uh, wild. What's driven her wild. name? Let's give her a oh, name. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, Louise? Somebody? Louise. I don't know if that's strong enough. Sounds like a waitress. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, think 50s. It was, um, you know, it's got to go, you know, like maybe her name, her last name is Maxwell or something. I don't know. Mabel was, Maxwell. Mabel Maxwell. Oh, that's oh, good. I like that. Yeah. Mabel Maxwell. Driven in, Wild. In Driven Wild. Oh, I would really watch this movie. Okay. I would too. All right. And there's some fabulous party scenes. Yes. You know? Of course. Uh, yeah. But the extras are terrible. <laughs> we should have directed them better. We blew it. Now it's, you're almost done. This is your final questions. Yes. Have you ever met an Olsen twin? I have not met an Olsen twin. No. Damn it. Uh-uh. Um, okay. <laughs> this is a game called Marry, Murder, Make Love. Okay. Or there's a more vulgar name you might be familiar with. I'm, um, I'm not. The characters are, or the people you have to choose from are Jerry Lewis, Don Rickles, and Richard Dreyfus. Yes. So and one you have to marry, one you have to murder. One you have to make love to. One you get to make love to. Oh, God. It's a real pickle. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Uh, give me the names again. Jerry it's, Lewis. It's Jerry. Mm-hmm. It's Dreyfus. Don Rickles. Or Don Rickles. <laughs> uh, oh, man. I would... Uh, the murder can be very humane. If the murder is humane, <laughs> I guess I would have to... Uh, I would murder Don Rickles. You would, you hockey puck? Come on. <laughs> Always going to kill me, huh? I would marry Jerry because he's 90. <laughs> It's good decisions. That's good business. Yeah. He's ninety. Or, you yeah. Know. Then I'd inherit all of his. Yeah. You know, I'd get to see the day the clown cried. That would be. <laughs> that would be a thing. Yeah. If I was married to him, and I, I would make love to Richard. I think. Although who's who's to say I already haven't? Right. You know? I mean, <laughs> please write another I mean, book, please. You know, as they as they said about, I, I met someone who who uh, had worked with my grandfather, and he was talking about. You know him and Greta Garbo having an affair, and I said, I don't, I don't think so. I've never heard anything about that. And he said, Oh, come on! They did three pictures together. I <gasps> love <laughs> <laughs> like in the old days. I was at Code, obviously. So, so I said, I you know I have worked with Richard, therefore probably something. I mean, how could it not? No, his lovely wife Svetlana would uh, disagree. I, um, I have not, that has not happened. <laughs> Okay, if you were to start your own backyard commune or cult, yeah. uh, based on the philosophy or underlying idea of any film you've been in, yeah, what what picture do you pick to make your commune around? Well, my favorite word is jam. I love that word, and I actually I said yeah. the jam. I love jam personally. Like mm-hmm. I don't know, there's just to me something. It represents something to you. I love jam. It's like it's beautiful. It's in a little jar. It's you know, and and I would call it like I I would call my commune jam because it's like oh. it's like jamming creatively, musically. I love when people jam musically. There's something so fun. You're all jammed into a small yeah, space. Yeah, there's something when people like. Jamming comedically, yeah. you know, you're on a set, yeah. and you're all razzing each other, and I run an improv jam every Thursday night. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Monica at 11 p.m. Mm-hmm. Is that what it's called? It's called the improv jam. Yeah, yeah. that's so funny. Jam, see? jam. 
I mean, that's a good, that's a good right? comment. Short and sweet. You yeah. remember it. You go into the gym. They, they live there, they, man. They sell jam. Oh, they to, make jam. That's make, definitely how they're money. paying there. They sell jam to preserve their way oh of life. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That was Thank really good. Somebody Nicole. now is going to go daddy yeah. right yeah, now. Right. <laughs> Mine. I got it. I got it. I got it. It's okay. Right, we're going to be doing that. <laughs> um, okay. You have pleased a wizard, and he's allowing you to have, as a little gift, an on-site experience in any movie in any time of your choosing. But you're a fly on the wall or an extra in this film. So which film? Yeah. And if you got it, which scene would you want to be an extra in? Oh, I would already. It's Some Like It Hot. Oh! Immediately. Which scene? (sighs) This is a very good choice. The... It's tough. Probably the scene that that Tony Curtis said it was like kissing Hitler. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Their their makeout scene, which is so amazing and so good, they're so amazing. But he talked endlessly about it, so that it was like kissing Hitler. <laughs> so I really want to see like up close, like what was going on. <laughs> well, I mean, that's a movie that every time it's on, I'm like, I'm watching some like it out again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, why Here am I? I, am. I mean, yes. the, the Maracas scene, like, oh, yeah. oh. Which yeah. is like so funny to me when you read about it that the, they put that in so there'd be a chance for the audience to laugh. Like that's the only so there's the, not like dead space. Yeah. But yeah. It's, it's, Why is a guy want to marry a guy? Right. Security. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just like nothing nothing is better than Some Like It Hot. It's on my top ten. Oh, I love it too. Yeah. It's great. And yeah. Billy Wilder's my favorite director. He's amazing. I definitely try to get all the stuff for a video store there. Yeah. Um, and Lemon and Math, I like, were my, one of my favorites growing up too. So yeah. Everything they've ever done. Yeah. But yeah, Some Like It Hot. My second would probably be Billy Wilder doing uh, Kiss Me Stupid with Peter Sellers Ooh. before they before he got his massive heart attack. And like I would have really have been curious to see what went wrong, you know, yeah. what, what went wrong with that re- relationship. Because hmm. yeah. the movie is haunted by, you know, Ray Walston is no Peter Sellers, but right. he's wearing his. There are photographs. I always love, like again, there are photographs of Peter Sellers wearing the sweatshirt, talking to Billy Wilder, and then he had his massive heart attack, and uh, and then he got replaced with Ray Walston and he's wearing the sweatshirt and stuff but it's like so weird. you read that Conversations with Wilder book that Cameron Crowe yes, did yes I have it's so good yeah just the fact that basically one, two, three made Cagney retire from acting yeah <laughs> there's yeah. some pretty amazing things that Wilder's done he's I, so good. I, yeah every movie he did one of the movies we profile is uh, one that I hadn't seen a lot called uh, uh, Foreign uh, no, A Foreign Affair mm-hmm. with a guy, an actor named John Lund, who who didn't do a lot of movies, Gene Arthur and Marlena Dietrich. Um, and it was an incredible experience uh, just watching that film and talking about Marlena Dietrich and her, you know, she was deeply involved in the war. She actually was trying to hatch a plan with Douglas Fairbanks Jr. to kill Hitler. Oh, my She's God. like a movie in itself. She had That's this whole so plan amazing. because he was in love with her and obsessed with her. And really angry that she left Germany. Uh, and oh he was determined God, somehow to get her back. So she hatched this plan that she would somehow tell him that she was going to come back and like make love to him. And they, she had this whole like, plan of trying to figure out how to kill him. That's um, crazy. So in the movie, A Foreign Affair, she plays a mistress uh, to a high-ranking uh, Nazi. <sighs> and she and Jean Arthur really, they, you know, they didn't get along in the film and stuff. So it, it's just an interesting genre. And yeah. Billy Wilder's an 
incredible director. Yeah, he's amazing. Yeah, you could have kind of get, gotten to be a detective and get to see all these greats work. Like, you, there's a lot of moving parts. About, yeah. Oh, what would be going on? I know. I know there's people out there going, you didn't pick your grandfather, but it's like, I, you know. But, but you got to be around you did a that. lot of that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Already yeah. lived it, honey. Yeah. Um, your final question is, would you rather, you have to pick one of them. Every movie you see from now on is in a drive-in or you can never see a film in a drive-in ever again. Every Oh, I would definitely go see movies in drive-ins. Exclusively? Yeah, if that was the only way to do it. Good. Do I get a handsome guy to go with? <laughs> sure. Very <laughs> packed. <laughs> yes. Well, maybe William Holden, too. Oh. Or Tyrone Power. Yeah, you can have circulating bows. Yeah, we can go to the we can go to the drive-in together. In classic cars. Oh, yeah. yeah. Do you have to go with Peter Lowry every fifth one? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh, well. <laughs> you well, did it. You did. He made it all the way through. Wow. Guys, Look uh, at me. Trailblazing Women. Thursday, October 6th on Turner Classic Movies, TCM. And I blame Dennis Hopper in paperback. Look for it at your bookstore or on the Amazon. Yep, October 8th. Um, and also, you can find you online, ilianadouglas.com. Yes. And uh, Twitter, at Rama. That's me, there at Rama. Uh, we're on the Twitter as well, at Cole Stratton. At Vanessa Ragland. The podcast is at PMC Podcast. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks for being here. Thank yeah, you. Subscribe to the Pop My Culture Podcast on iTunes. Check us out online at popmyculturepodcast.com. And follow us on Twitter at PMC Podcast. Thanks for listening.